This is Joe Cole, and you're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right, the London is Blue podcast. Hopefully your favorite Chelsea podcast out there. We're coming to you after Chelsea gave Brighton the boop on the nose with the newspaper because it was that good. 3-2, which was not the scoreline that I, Dan, nor Sam predicted in our match preview. So hopefully, as we preview the Manchester United midweek fixture in the Premier League for Chelsea in this episode, we might be a little bit better, hopefully, Sam, with the prognostication that we can offer as relates to the end score. But I don't know, as long as the team is winning and our prognostication is poor, that is quite all right by me. Three points over anything else. Don't I get brownie points for saying 2-1? I mean, it was a one-goal margin, and, and you know, I think that counts for a little bit. I think a little, little bit, especially because it's festive season and I need some brownies. But I, I agree, as, as long as the team sort of delivers on a winning prediction, I have no complaints. I could not concur more. And that's right. We are going to be talking about the Manchester United match coming up in this episode. But before we do that, we just want to always, always, always thank the wonderful listeners, the five-star reviews, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. The Spotify wraps are amazing. Please keep continuing to share those. Sign up for our free newsletter that Sam writes every week. A new one will be dropping on Wednesday, the day of the United match. So, Get signed up now with the link in the description and get involved. Also, subscribe on YouTube and hit the bell icon to get notified. Get very, very close to 3,000 subscribers there. We'd love to have you be a part of that, the independent Chelsea media that we are. We would appreciate that. And then lastly, you can join our wonderful Discord community. Also, link in the show notes slash description to get involved there, get stuck in on the conversation. But Sam, as we look ahead to this match... This is a very curious Manchester United team. This is not the Manchester United teams of yore, whether they were the teams that struggled to find their place or the ones that were completely dominant and running down the league. This is a team that currently sits in seventh place on a negative goal differential, the highest team in the league with a negative goal differential. The next closest team, the negative goal differential, is Crystal Palace with negative five in 12th place. I Could you give me a three-word summary? I know we do the three-word match review. What's a three-word summary for this team? That's a tough one, but um, I mean, I, I'm sort of inclined to give as neutral of you as possible because some of my... Um, I would say most admired compatriots in another fan base are United guys. So, I mean, they're listening in. I don't want to be too brutal, but um, absolute terrible garbage, I think, comes very close. It's, it's I think, um, been sort of a little bit of a banter thing between me and another friend of mine, a Chelsea fan. Uh, he's from Ghana. And since the past year, when, when Ten Hag was appointed, Every single time um, United have got a goal that they did not deserve, that they got out of a sticky situation where they absolutely should have been mauled to high heaven. I've gone to his inbox and ranted relentlessly. So he's been listening to me for a year. And I told him this. I said, look, next season, I think there's going to be an a insane collapse. I think that everything that's holding them together, um, Marcus Rashford's Mbappe form last season, that's going to drop off. And it just looks like they're going to be in, in the same kind of trouble that we've been. And I think that's what's happened. They have Graham Potter under Chelsea numbers. 
they are still managing to overperform on those and try to get them to positions where they have no right being. And we'll discuss about like the underlying metrics and and you know how in the world they're still hanging on there for dear life. But it just looks like a side, like you mentioned, it's a ghost of their of their former selves. And it's a it's also a cornered animal. I should I should definitely point that out. Because I thought they were going to get absolutely smacked against Bayern, but they actually came out to play and then showed that they still have a little bit of that, you know, uh, fierce tenacity that that you associated with them when they were going on those runs under Ole as well. So it's a wounded animal. We have to be careful. But in terms of the games that I've had to watch over the past few weeks, especially for this preview, uh, it was like rubbing a cheese grater all over my forehead. It's been it's been brutal. It's it's not been pretty. And and I really really hope that we can give you know a good account of ourselves and actually go and put the side to the sword, just like we did against Brighton, and hopefully one step ahead. It's not a theater of dreams nor a theater of nightmares at the moment. It feels like a theater of unfulfilling slumber as if it's the type of sleep you get when you wake up and you're still exhausted after getting a bit of that shut eye and this team certainly seems to be putting their fan base through the ringer as well you know look we have no ability to cast stones at this moment in our glass houses as to the trials and tribulation of chelsea at the moment you know again united sit higher than chelsea in the table at the moment they have 24 points. We have 19. They're in seventh place. We're in 10th. So, again, it's not as if they are the worst side in the world. But up until recently, they hadn't also drawn a game. They were either winning or losing matches, which was quite interesting. They have a home record of 403, 12 points, 403, also away record, 12 points, everything perfectly balanced for this side. Goals 16 in total, 1.14 per game. Goals against 17, 1.21 per game. That's that minus one difference we're talking about. Their expected goals is an underperformed 20.2. Their expected goals allowed 23.6. So they're actually conceding less. So that has led to them finding themselves in the area they're in. But boy, oh boy, the missing player list here. Sam, this is now the third match in a row where we're going up against a side who has a longer injury list than Chelsea. And we're talking about Martinez, uh, Malasia, Diallo, Casemiro, Erickson, Mason Mount, Johnny Evans, and Jaden Sancho with the question mark, not necessarily the Red Cross icon there as being out for this match, which puts them beyond the number that Chelsea have by two. And the other two that would equal it out for us would be Conor Gallagher, who's out on suspension for this match, and Malagusto. Uh, so I guess it's, you know, there's one player difference between the two sides. And who knows, maybe by the time this match is taking place, Nkunku will be ready for the bench because he was not in this past match. Yeah, I think it's just... Um... It's it's increasingly common now for us to see an injury table that sort of matches up to us, which may be, <clears throat> I think, indicative of the broader trend where more players are getting injured. Um, you know, there's a lot more strain in terms of having to cope with the same amount of players, but but to figure out how you're going to optimize input without rotating too much. And I think we're still in that middle zone where people are figuring out how to use their five subs, you know, to the most optimal way possible. So... Yeah, I mean, not good news. You obviously want to face your opponent at their best. I think that's something that that I've always held 
to my standards saying you shouldn't rejoice if they're missing the strongest players because then there's an excuse saying you know oh, they were missing this player and you know it could have turned out differently you should be able to beat them at their best but when you look at this injury table the amount of absences there are i mean <clears throat> we're probably looking at luke shaw starting at left back um it's not really a good picture especially when there've been rumors about you know sidelining rafael varan after they spent quite a lot of amount to to get him he's also on incredible wages so it just looks like squad planning plus injuries are sort of wrecked everything together and and it just looks like you know fate's played a a cruel game but we've been there and we know how it works so hopefully we can capitalize on that and and not be too merciful if you were to think about what is the most emblematic match they've had this season as if you were going to say if someone had the curiosity someone wanted to willingly subject themselves to watching another 90 minutes of man united football from this past season or maybe even the 15 minute highlight video of it what match would you recommend for them to watch to understand this side and where they are today yeah i think everton would be a very good game to start so they they basically rocked up to everton um in the first half i think they conceded somewhere around 1.43 expected goals um and they had one shot i think two shots and one was on target and i think everton had uh, I, i don't know how many but they basically had like at least seven times the amount they missed two big chances um and united ended the half 1-0 and they ended the game 3-0 so i think that's sort of reflective of of what they can be when you know the old lady smiles at them um they've just got undeserved goals they've had individual quality bail them out they've had some good players come in and become clutch at the right moments but they've also survived moments where they should have been punished and we both looked at the table i mean in terms of expected goals that they should have conceded it's almost a seven goal difference which is an incredible number they're they like they should be closer to like 14th or 13th in terms of the goals they should have conceded but they're somehow the fifth best defense in the premier league which is baffling and i think that's the numbers sort of distorting what their real position is on the table and it's something that we should definitely not get intimidated by i think they're there for the taking um and and numbers do lie well and it has often been the case that chelsea has had to meet the new manager that a team appoints after right before they play us um Sheffield United being one that we will see in the coming weeks but it feels as if there is a lot of conversation around Ten Hag at the moment and good friend of the pod and uh, frequent contributor to the Blue Royalty show that we do Ollie Glanville did share a note that there is a lot of circling of certain birds certain uh birds that enjoy feasting on the carcasses of other animals around Ten Hag and his untenable position at the moment do you feel as if Chelsea get a result here Sam could you see this being the death knell here I wouldn't be surprised I think that would be the logical thing to do and I think the death knell should have rung maybe like a couple of weeks ago because it's been dire. I've seen a lot of I mean I've spoken to a lot of Manchester United fans and they're trying to be patient. I think they've been more patient than they should have. 
they know that they want their club to go ahead and and basically make progressive changes but it just seems like you know they're too far deep in it to to reverse what they're trying to do they've given him so much power on recruitment to get i don't know 80 90 million for for anthony who <clears throat> for me was an absolute dud buy they've been trying to justify it like we did kai havertz during his weak spells and you know a one footed winger who struggles when he's trying to take on people and he only has one intention you know trying to find tactical benefits there it hasn't worked you've bought an aging casemiro you've bought rafael varan both of them have been you know sidelined maybe just you know injured or or struggling with form or availability that's been disastrous they got like amrabat from from fiorentina we like a couple of my friends and i have been talking about this saying you look at morocco's organization and the tactical setup there's 17 meters between the three lines between their defense and their attack that's how compact they were during the world cup and you're basically putting a midfielder like him in one of the most expansive lines that you're going to see in the premier league where the defense does not want to press the forward line is trying to press and there's a huge ocean in between where he's wandering trying to stop counter attacks it's not going to work so for me it it just looks like they've given him too much power and now they're afraid of what's going to happen if they get a new guy in because he's just going to walk in saying this is the wrong map you know i'm not supposed to be here i'm supposed to be on another continent i think that's what the fear is but yeah 100% if if they go through with it then and if we manage to give them a good hiding i think that could be the start of the process that um leads to to him being dethroned Well, he's not dethroned yet, so we are going to talk about the way Ten Hag has been setting up his side to eke out some lukewarm results in the Premier League and in multiple competitions this season. Before that, do we do that? We're going to take a very quick break and we will be right back. What is going on Chelsea fans? Exciting announcement. Uh we have joined up with Team Manscaped again for this holiday season. That's right. We are back with Manscaped. I know how much you love their ads before, so we are going to partner up with them again this holiday season. If you're looking for a gift to upgrade your daily care routine, right? Check out the brand new lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. That's right. We got the the new one here. So, as you are used to uh with these trimmers, it is skin safe technology. We got the dual head system, waterproof, you can use it in the shower, uh USB-C quick charge option, dual temp LED spotlight and it's got a travel lock. So the kit that we are recommending you get is the 5.0 Ultra, comes with the razor itself comes with two of the combs and then it also comes with the foil blade. You've got all options here that comes with it. Now check this thing out. It is built great, nice and sturdy, good weight to it. You can hear you got some good RPMs in there. Check out the light for those of you on YouTube. That's right. You got two different uh brightnesses on there that you have. Uh the other reason we love Manscaped is it uh They are part of the Testicular Cancer Society, right? They save balls. They're all about helping men uh with their daily grooming routines as well as what they're going through life. So we appreciate them and everything they do. Check it out again. Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. Link in the description. Check it out. Link in the description. Let them know that you came to them through London is Blue so that they can continue a partnership with us. Check them out. All right, Sam. So walk us through the type of play that we can expect from the side again 
you know, there's only so much football you might be able to watch if you've been watching some of the recent Chelsea matches. And they've been a bit of a roller coaster. They've been worth the price of admission, uh, at least for the neutral and yeah, sometimes for us as well. But you might not have had it in you to, to put up with the United matches so far, but you've done the work for the people. You have put in the time. You've put in the effort. The no days off mentality is strong, and you can give us an accurate assessment of how Ten Hag side and Man United have been playing currently. Yeah, I think whenever people say we're playing badly, like we as in Chelsea are playing badly and, and we don't know where we're going, I would always say just watch United. Just watch the execution, the ideas, the philosophy, and how far the theory looks from practice. And I think you will be absolutely patient with Pochettino. So I would highly recommend this exercise to, to anybody who's listening in. This is not a roasting session. I, it will seem like it, you know, on some junctures of the podcast, but it genuinely, I, I don't know how to describe my feelings, but it's infuriating as a football neutral, knowing the kind of football royalty Manchester United comes from versus just, you know, maybe a little bit of befuddlement that it's gone on for this long and, and they somehow managed to pull out results through it. I mean, testament to their mentality and their DNA, as we often like to say, but um, it just looks like a mismatch. It just looks cluttered. They look like they're lacking cohesion. They don't have any confidence. The vision, I can't see it. Um, like I mentioned, I think recruitment has been a major issue. Senior players, lots of senior players, Varane, Casemiro, Ericsson, uh, Rashford also joining the ranks. We have to remember that he broke out extremely early. So he's already got a good seven, eight years of senior football in his leg. So he's now also one of the senior players. They look disillusioned. They seem to have had some issue with the manager in one way or another. We talked about Varane. There was this incident about Rashford, I think, going to his brother's birthday post a defeat. And he was basically benched by Ten Hag the next day. There have been other conversations. And in terms of the players that Ten Hag has actively tried to sideline, um, Maguire, then there was McTominay. Both have been now got back into the fold and now are starting players in the lineup. So it, it just doesn't make sense. You know, why would you do that? You've also spent, I don't know how much, 60 plus million on Mason Mount. He's been on the bench. You've got a defensive midfielder in Amrapath who you've played at fullback. I can understand it's because of injuries, but, you know, there have been, I think, in the game against Manchester City, he went with the Ericsson and Amrabat pivot. So it just, I can't see the sense in it. I don't, I don't see any kind of um, upside to his changes, to what he's trying to do, to, to what the end goal is. It looks like the players he has don't fit in how he wants to play. And he's actually acknowledged this in press conferences where he said, I don't think I'm going to play the kind of football that I want to play, you know, or I played at Ajax because a counter-attacking philosophy suits us better with the players we have. And there was so much pushback on that. I mean, you look at their side, for example, let's take this, this metric, okay? They've got the seventh most long balls attempted per 90 minutes uh, in the Premier League. And this number is similar to Liverpool, who attempts 72 passes more per game. But it's also similar to Burnley, that averaged 20 passes less. So they're similar in terms of how long they want to go and they're comparable more to Burnley rather than Liverpool who do it in a very effective manner and who have the players to capitalize on, on that kind of football. I would also say that this long ball sort of aids what they want to do just like Ole Ball. They're extremely strong in attacking transition. What they do very well is they get you to press, they get you to commit 
And then they go long to the last line where there are 2v2, 3v3 situations where they've got the pace to hurt you. They've got Marcus Rashford, we talked about it. If you get Rashford 1v1 against one of your centre-backs, it can be curtains on the day. They've also got Rasmus Hoyland, who's played in a similar system for Atlanta, where he had to do a lot of running in behind. He had to basically play a lot of vertical football. He's well accustomed to the side in terms of the tactical requirements of it. And he's somebody who's also, you know, very, very good on the break. And uh, they're actively trying to use him. So a tactic that you'll see often is Onana or Maguire going long to Rasmus Hoyland when the opposition team counter presses. So to go over the press, they're not going to play through you with attractive football. They just go long. And they try to bypass eight people and they go directly to your back where they try to hurt you. And they've also got Alejandro Garnacho, who's also been very, very good. So lots of pacey runners, lots of direct attackers who can cause a lot of damage. So I think that's something that you have to look for. Um, I would say the younger players coming through is is probably the the gleaming, like the little light at the at the end of the tunnel. The rest of it is just a train. Um, you know, we've talked about uh, Garnacho coming through. He had this incredible bicycle kick goal um, that's been talked about as one of the best goals ever scored in the Premier League. Uh, but Kobe Mainu is also somebody who's come through the fold. He's expected to start tomorrow and, and he's also looked very good in midfield. So, um, yeah, I think just in, in the bleak midwinter, it's a little bit of a, of an encouraging sign for them that despite bad recruitment, they still have guys who have you know, some kind of attachment to the badge and that they want to be here, they want to play. And I would say that, it, you know, chaos tends to work in their favor. If you look at their scoring patterns, 11 of their 16 goals have come in the second 45 minutes. And their short volume also goes up, as does the X, XG that they generate and the conversion rate. So they tend to be more clinical towards the end. Um, but the flip side is they also concede... I would say a little bit more than they should. They concede they've conceded nine of their 17 goals this season in the last 45 minutes. So um tend to be good in, in the last 45, little open, uh, unpredictable. So I would say that if you have to cause damage, do it in the first 45. Well, I don't think anybody would be opposed to scoring multiple goals in the first 45 minutes, a la our last match against Brighton. Look, I don't think we can count on an Enzo Fernandez header for two matches in a row, but you know, that would not be the worst thing in the world. When you think about the weaknesses of this side, so I think there's a couple areas where, you know, we've talked about maybe Ten Hag's rigid approach. I think the fact that he's isolated some of these players and made it so that they're a bit of a persona non grata or been cycled out and then have to be relied upon has definitely destabilized the squad at time. Though to the point you made, there are youngsters or individuals who are rising up the ranks who are getting a chance to make a name for themselves. So it feels like it's almost a simple plan I'm I'm not I'm I feel like I might be underselling it here but I feel like they don't play any meaningful style that we should be terribly afraid of given the personnel that they rock up with it's really more about can we not play I guess mistake free or as close to mistake free football as we can because it feels like on the day on paper our side is better yeah I I I'm a little hesitant to share this incident I mean I'm pretty sure a lot of 
older Chelsea fans know of it, but you know, these days it might be considered a, a tad bit crude. But there was this game uh, under Mourinho's first spell against Watford, and uh, we basically were in the title race. I think this was two thousand and six, if I'm not wrong. And uh, we were we were basically level in the first half and creating a lot. And Mourinho basically walked in with his you know notepad with all his tactical notes, and he said what tactics you know you don't need tactics and he tore his notepad in front of the squad he threw it down and then he just you know basically pointed somewhere and said this is what you need you don't need tactics and the and the side went out and i think grabbed us either they grabbed a stoppage time winner i think through salomon kalu or we won 4-0 one of those two things happened but we basically went on to win the game so when i'm looking at you know united it would be a disservice to say they don't have a style i mean um, I, I may have made it look like they're just utter shambles, but they do have, like, for example, they do go four-two-three-one most of the time. I think what they're struggling with is trying to figure out what the composition of the midfield is going to be for an ideal balance. They don't have profiles that complement each other. They've obviously like struggling with injury, but in terms of what they have. It just looks very lightweight on the ball. It looks like they're they're not able to defend transitions well. They're not able to get their midfield to press and and help the forward line. So there's something or the other missing in in the middle of the park. And it's it's also right now in terms of the eleven that's expected to start. I think the technical floor of this team is is just very low. You look at players like Scott McTominay who doesn't know angles, who basically loses the ball a lot when he's under pressure. Sometimes he just doesn't know where to be in terms of receiving, in terms of how to receive. He just looks, you know, like ill-suited for that position. He he just looks ill-suited to build up play at all. And again, Manchester United aren't emphasizing that anyway. So, you know, why would you risk doing it? So it's not improving your players, but it's also just looking like it's it's not strong enough. I think they will and they are extremely suspect when it comes to having to keep the ball. I think in high-pressure scenarios where, for example, you're leading in the end minutes of, of the game or you're going through a rough spell where you have to keep the ball and prevent the opposition from creating something dangerous, they don't have answers. They lose the ball, they surrender it willingly. They're In terms of clearances, they are closer to Wolves and, and West Ham than they are to us. So it just looks like they just want to do no-nonsense defending and, and they just don't want to be near the ball, which is okay and it works for some teams, but not United. They don't have the players to cope with it. So I think that's something that's extremely suspect. I would say individuals are also in poor form. Um, Andre Onana, for example, is supposed to be the transformative signing of the summer. He's made some extremely glaring errors. Um, against Galatasaray, I think total XG of Hakim Ziyech's free kicks was about 0.12. So 12% chance of two shots going in. And he basically allowed both of them to slip under him. So it was it was absolutely disastrous performance. And there have been times when, you know, he's been one-on-one and a striker's tried to like give him a faint shot and he's just sat on his bum. He just lost all balance, doesn't have any semblance of how to react to a second shot. So it just looks like a lot of his deficiencies have been exposed, which often happens with goalkeepers. You know, this is not to say he's not a good goalkeeper, but he's mixed some glaring clangers with some really good saves. And and he hasn't had a chance to show off his on-ball pedigree. We talk about how he was in the Barcelona Academy. He trained as a midfielder. So 
with a goalkeeper of that caliber mistakes are okay as long as the upside massively overshadows the downside and and it just hasn't happened at united so a uh, bad team going through a bad patch has made individuals worse which happens and, and we've seen it so i think that's that's something that we need to capitalize on especially with their goalkeeper um rasmus hoyland promising signing somebody i was scouting for the chelsea center forward position um he's yet to score in the premier league for 677 minutes from 14 shots charity fc i have pulled this stat out for you please please do not give him the debut manchester united premier league goal please please do not let that happen um so that's that's two of the things for sure a third issue i'd like to point is um just the structural issues that have been there in midfield and defense when you look at the 4231 and this is something that you know we've seen with our setup as well where pochettino's tried to play the 4231 and you have to ensure that your defensive midfield and your attacking midfielders have to be extremely well synchronized in terms of when to press and when to back off and i think that's where <clears throat> manchester united has struggled the most like i don't think that they have the sense of timing in terms of when to drop into a compact shape and i think those are the moments when uh, you should try and kill them especially when we've looked at the amount of transitions that we've done we've looked very very good in attacking transition uh we're very good at like playing out of pressure and counter presses which is what manchester united will try to do to force mistakes and if we can capitalize on that moment and essentially try to flip it and and attack their backline during transition with the likes of kobe mainu and and mctominay i'm positive that we will make you know a, a positive impact there so casemiro is not the transition killer that he used to be i don't think he's fit for this one anyway but that midfield doesn't fill me with confidence in terms of just being able to cope with good a good attacking transition so i think that's going to be an issue i'd also like to highlight something that um was flagged by giom so giom's this superb account on x um twitter so his at is giom v d w e g e um he's a ufab coach Uh, and and does a lot of great stuff on the Substack. So if you listen to Seb on Tinkerman, obviously you're going to love his account, and it's also rated by Seb. So I would highly recommend to follow. So Tiom said, "Look, you have to understand that certain brands of football require certain physical requirements, and you have to ensure that your coaching staff knows it very well." When we look at Pochettino, he got his coaching staff from the time that he's had it about six or seven years ago, since he was at Spurs. and these guys know his brand of football well they know exactly the physical and conditioning requirements that have to be instilled before you start playing that game and there is apparently this i, I don't know if it's true but it's said that at manchester united the staff has remained the same you know at the fitness staff that he's had at ajax den haag he's not been able to get it here so what you're essentially doing is trying to get somebody to play their brand of football without giving them the tools required to reach it so maybe there's the disconnect there in terms of how they look he's pointed out some very interesting body language slash cues about how they are unprepared for exertions you know how in terms of transitional football you require high volume sprints so you have to use a lot of anaerobic endurance it just looks like they're ill equipped to do it over 90 minutes it looked like even their injury crisis maybe is down to it this is something that i'm inferring out of it because it happens 
But uh, I would highly recommend reading that. So I think that's also an interesting point to make. Are they physically able to cope with the kind of football that they're playing over 90 minutes? The fact that they concede a lot more in, in, in the last 45 is maybe also indicative that it gets a little more chaotic than they need it to be. Yeah, definitely something that we are very much aware of, the idea of chaos within the game. And ultimately, it is something that we hope to take advantage of, that their chaos can be our benefit rather than our chaos being the benefit of other teams. And so, look, we have a lot more that we need to talk about, Sam, particularly how Pochettino is going to take advantage of this opportunity to in two consecutive matches against Brighton and Manchester United, pick up points on teams ahead of Chelsea in the table to continue clawing our way out of the mid-table and into a Europa or European footballing spot in the Premier League. But before we do that, we got to take a quick break. And we'll be right back. We'll get back into all of that. So stay tuned. All right, Sam. So I think we've seen a couple of positives that we can build upon in this match, in particular, the four center back lineup. We we should just keep that going. We should keep that going. We should score some more set piece goals, which is phenomenal. That is a really really wonderful idea because I don't think, you know, uh, I don't think they got the height. I think Manchester United is lying on the Tinder profile about saying they're like six one six two. Yeah, they're five seven. They're they're not they're not that tall. Yeah, I I would definitely agree. I think. When you look at their aerial percentage, the uh, wins, it's at 47%, which is uh, 16th, 17th in the Premier League. So it's not really looking good for them there. But there are some other things that, that definitely need to be looked at. Um, for example, it just looks like they're incapable of stopping chances from being created. So I was just playing around with the numbers. And in terms of the best in the league at allowing key passes, you know, in terms of allowing passes that lead to shots. Manchester City naturally on top with 81, Arsenal next with 89. Then there are the top six contenders, Brighton, Newcastle, Chelsea at 120, 121, 122. And towards the bottom, United 17th with 165. West Ham, Luton and Sheffield United. So that's some company to keep. It just looks like they they can't stop people from taking shots, which is something that we've highlighted in terms of transitional moments, very open, don't really have the compactness to be there at the right place at the right time to prevent those opportunities. So that's something that we should look to exploit. I think Pochettino will be pointing to that saying, you will get chances to to take shots, to take good shots, take them. You know, definitely don't be shoot shy. Just absolutely go and and try to get your shot away as soon as possible. The second I would like to point is that there's a heavy, heavy, heavy reliance on Bruno Fernandes. You know, we know that he's been their star player for the longest time, but this season is just another level. So he's their top scorer joint with three in the Premier League with McTominay. He's their top assist provider with three. No one else in their side has more than one. He's a leading big chance creator with eight. And he's created 36 shots. The next highest in the side has less than half with 14. So it's it's definitely looking like he's going to be their main threat. And he's probably going to start in the number 10 position. From what I know, it's going to be Garnacho on the left. 
Rashford on the right, it's a, a role that he's himself said he does not like because the angles are different. But Ten Hag being Ten Hag is is trying to put Rashford on the right hand side, which is good for us. He'll be up against Colville, um, and and uh, hopefully he'll be able to keep him quiet. But it looks like Bruno Fernandez is going to be the guy that we have to keep quiet, and the job will definitely go to Moises Caicedo. So we're hoping that Pochettino says stick very close with him, drop as much as possible. Caicedo did a very good job um, on Lalana for the longest time until Brighton switched up a little bit and they caused issues by putting Gilmore out wide and their left back actually came inside to, to overload Caicedo in the center. So that's where things got a little dicey for him. So that's something that we have to keep an eye on. You know, get Caicedo like a bloodhound on Bruno Fernandes and if he can keep him quiet, it's definitely going to be good news for us. Uh, there's also the fact that they're not very clinical in terms of shots on goal to goals ratio. The percentage, the average for the Premier League is 9.2% and United are 17th with 6.8%. So just adding to the Bruno point, if you can keep their biggest threat by some margin quiet, that percentage goes down even further. So there's a good chance that we come out unscathed. And you talked about set pieces. So... You know, we got two set-piece goals against Brighton. Clearly, we're not equipped to handle the likes of Benoit Badia-Shiel, um, Axel Desasi, and Thiago Silva running at them. So, definitely not. I mean, if you can have four centre-backs in there against a side that's winning 47% in the air, I think there's every chance that you come away with with something, especially when you've got Luke Shaw at centre-back. He's not going to be able to do anything to, to Badia-Shiel or Desasi. So, you know, why not? Let's go with that strategy and figure out what to do. Oh, I'm I'm enjoying everything you're saying right now, and it's getting me excited for a midweek match in the beginning of December, which is not something I thought I would say at the beginning of the season. So kudos to you, Sam, for putting me right and getting me in a happy headspace for this, and hopefully the listeners feel that way as well. Let's talk about predicted lineup. We know that Connor Gallagher is going to be out missing. We know that Malagusto is still in a recovery program. We hoped that Nkunku was going to make the bench for this past weekend's match, and that did not happen to be the case. So fingers crossed that he gets involved in this one. Um, what do you think the lineup would be is going to be, knowing all the permutations of who isn't or is available as of this exact moment? Yeah, I think it's a pretty simple call for Poch to make. I think the back four plus Sanchez had an exceptionally good game, considering the circumstances, considering we were one man down for an entire half. Superb game. I think Disasi had one of his best games in a Chelsea shirt. So when you're looking at his partnership with Bhatia Shield, how good Silva was inside the box, I think you definitely keep the same back four. Um, and then obviously the goalkeeper. So that's that's going to remain the same. Palmer came on. I think he has carrying a knock or something. There was some rumors before the game. But now that Gallagher is out, I think the direct option would be to play Palmer in the middle of that 4-2-3-1 or as the guy dropping and basically becoming the third central midfielder next to Enzo and Caicedo. So uh, I would say Palmer in the middle and then you've got Mudrik on the left and uh, Raheem Sterling on the right. So I think that's going to be perhaps what I think is going to happen. Uh, Mudrik against Juan de Saka is going to be an interesting contest. It's definitely going to be one that I'll be watching closely. But Raheem Sterling on that left flank, um, Manchester United's left flank, could be could be where we can get through. So I think those three remain the same. And Nico Jackson, who I think 
went extremely under the radar with a very, very good performance against Brighton. It was superb, like absolutely superb. I watched the game back and I was like, this guy, if he keeps on improving and then just playing 30 games this season, 40 games, and it probably just has half of the next season. Oh my God. Just excites me to bits. So I'm, I'm 100% for him starting. So I would keep the same lineup, Palmer in. That's about it. What about you? Ooh, I do think the Palmer in is going to be the solution for this match. I mean, we know that he, you know, may or may not have had a knock, which is why he did not potentially start in this past match. I think something to the effect of the Sterling Jackson, Mudrick and Palmer as the combination with Enzo and Caicedo as the, the backing, uh, you know, obviously I would imagine Reese comes back into the folds. I mean, do you potentially give Tiago Silva a match off considering how fast and furious the matches are going to be heading into the remainder of the season or the end of this month, rather? I completely forgot Reese James is back. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I completely forgot. It was not a direct red. It was like a, a yellow plus yellow. So yeah, yes, he is game. back. Yeah, well, as well as Kukureya. So, um, yeah, definitely good options to have in terms of trying to see games. But yeah, I mean, in terms of that right-back position, I think Reese is, is 100% a shoe-in. But it'll be interesting to see, Dan, if there is some kind of rotation because we have had injuries and we've just recovered. So, I, you know, maybe there's some kind of preparing for a hectic calendar saying, okay, we need to manage minutes. It it happens all the time. You know, you and I have just gone with the 11 and just Poch has come up with something completely different. So, you know, we've put out the strongest lineup with, according to both of us. But uh, yeah, I think if if all goes well, then we should be able to play um, our strongest and get in a player who I think is, is optimal against this United side that conceded a lot of chances and has good shooting against a goalkeeper who looks suspect. Well, that is always or would always be a joy if we can put one past the player who, you know, did he stump Chelsea? I don't know. Is it a great narrative if we put one past them? Absolutely. That would be so, so perfect if, you know, Onana has a little bit of a holographic glitch or a little bit of a hiccup in his mental matrix that allows us. Oh, no, no. Oh, my God. No. We were doing so well in this episode, Sam. We were doing so well. Kudos to me. Kudos to West Ham. Thank you so much. Thank well, you for listening to my talk. Well, considering all of that, what is your score prediction or how do you think Chelsea will get on in this game when it all is said and done at hopefully not 90 plus 11 minutes for two matches back to back? Oh, my God. Yeah. I just hope our captain doesn't get a red card. Let's just stop there. Because that would be an incredibly, you know, inauspicious record to have. Three captains sent off in like three successive game weeks. Um, but th- I think there's duality of man at work here, Dan. I think one part of me, the the one that looks at this competition and says, look, there's every bit we come up against this United side and do what we are good at doing and come out like 3-1, 3-0, maybe like 4-1 winners, even 4-1 winners, I think that we're absolutely capable of giving a thrashing to at least one side like that. And I think United could be it. But there's also just how lucky United have been. And and they tend to pull out good performances against us. I think they're unbeaten against us for like six games. I think it was CFC Daily who said that the last time we beat them at Old Trafford, Juan Mata was still a Chelsea player. It was 2013, nearly a decade ago. So it, it isn't an easy player to go, uh, easy place to go and actually get a result. So then I would say conservatively, maybe it's a 2-1 or a narrow, narrow win, maybe like a 1-0. But 
But yeah, I think it's it's definitely going to be an entertaining game. But I'm leaning towards a high score. I'm leaning towards like three one or four one, hoping hoping that it materializes. Yeah, I, you? you're you're wishing something into existence, which I feel just hasn't been the case. I mean, <laughs> look, Man United have definitely hammered some sides. I mean, the Everton match you talked about, but the matches outside of like a Man City winning. Three nothing. Um, the two one results that they had against Brentford, they have a lot of one one nils. They have a one nil against Burnley, a one nil against Palace. I know we've been scoring with a higher level of regularity. I feel like one nil to Chelsea is just bang on the the result you have to go for, and it is not going to be pretty. But you know what is pretty? Picking up three points and winning the game. So suffer through the ninety. 90- <laughs> Take the three points and then head on home with no injuries and no suspensions. I'll happily take that, 100%. You know, a 1-0 is is probably the most beautiful score then, according to Jose Mourinho. So, you know, I take that. As long as we get a clean sheet, which we are sort of like struggling for these days, get some, you know, confidence into our defense. Yeah, it'll be fantastic. I think it'll be a great start to to a pretty insane calendar. So, yeah, good way to start off the festive month and hopefully a little more cheer to add after a good win against Brighton. Uh, well, on the first day of uh, Christmas, Robert Sanchez gave to me a clean sheet. Yes, the first one of many. Um, so hopefully we can <laughs> knock that in, get it done, and enjoy some more positive vibes as we get ready and look ahead to another match preview that we'll be doing later this week against Everton. That's right, tons of match previews coming this month. So Sam and I will be locked in and with you every step of the way. But we also got wonderful match reviews and other content coming from our friends Matt and Nez, and then also many Blue Royalty episodes coming as well. And potentially a couple other surprises, so stay tuned for those. But until next time, Chelsea fans, that's going to do it for this one. And you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.